Good morning. I'm Sanaa and you're tuned in to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Nearly one in five U.S. adults live with a diagnosed mental behavioral or emotional disorder. So thinking here about depression, anxiety, ADHD, PTSD, among many others. Of course, we know that there are multiple racial disparities in our mental health system from access, diagnosis, quality of care, and of course, also treatment. Today, to talk more about mental wellness, I'm joined by Dr. Leanne Smith. Dr. Smith is the founder of The Mending Place. She is a licensed psychologist based in Houston, Texas, and she provides therapy and assessments to children, adults, and families. She helps clients mend their current and past experiences while considering their cultural backgrounds and social identities to facilitate the inner work needed for their future success. Dr. Smith's expertise is in psychological assessment and therapeutic interventions for children, adults, and families who have experienced complex trauma and marginalization. Welcome, Dr. Leanne Smith. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be talking with you again. <laughs> yes, I am so happy that you said yes to coming back on the show. Um, last year, you were so generous with your time in talking to us about Juneteenth and your experiences with Juneteenth, particularly because of where you grew up. Um, and that was such a great conversation and, of course, such a timely conversation. So thank you again for that. No, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it because love talking about Juneteenth. Shout out to Galveston, Texas. I was born on the island. I had to, you know, <laughs> you, when you're from Galveston, you got to rep where you're from. That's oh, is that what it is? Okay. That's small town life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for listeners who didn't catch that episode last year, definitely look, go back in the archives on wyxr.org or wherever you stream podcasts. Let's Grab Coffee is also available in the podcast format. Format, excuse me. Definitely go back and give that episode a listen. But, you know, I had such a great time talking to you then and I know we didn't get a chance to talk about something that's really important to you that you have been creating which is the mending place and so I said okay let me reach out and see if Leanne will come back on and tell us about her important work around mental wellness so you said yes so we're here yes we're here and I'm really excited to talk about it I um the mending place feels like the thing that I was put on this earth to do. Um, and I do a lot of other things and I love all the other things that I do. And that's definitely part of purpose, um, but there's just something special about um, the goal of The Mending Place, which is thinking about how we can provide therapeutic services that are culturally affirming. Um, instead of focusing on um, mental disorder only, um, but making sure that people who are qualified to treat mental disorders and people who are also maintaining our mental wellness, our day in and day out practices that help us take care of ourselves, that they are coming together and helping create these spaces um, where community can be built. And that's essentially what the Mending Place is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a shorthand way of saying it, but. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to get into it. And there was a lot there, um, you know, talking about purpose. And maybe we'll come to that a little bit later. But let's start with the mending place. Because you said something that stuck out to me, which is the culturally affirming piece. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about in um, medicine, just overall, how there is often a focus on the deficit or simply kind of um, trying to treat something kind of quickly or even in a kind of blanket way, but not getting maybe to the root causes or also even, again, taking a deficit approach versus um, looking at what is there and kind of building from that. Absolutely. Um, that's 
um, that same thing happens in psychology. Um, so when we start talking about um, how we often are trained um, in terms of psychotherapy, uh, we still are trained in very much um, medical model. It, it, it is the medical model essentially where you are trained to diagnose quickly, intervene. There's a focus on evidence-based interventions, all of that stuff that I believe in, but there are modifications. Um, there are There's a skill or an art form and different things that need to be attended to when we are talking about people who are coming in um, and are not represented in a lot of the research that looks at um, some of these psychological disorders. The deficit model in psychology um, looks like blaming uh, people who are suffering for their suffering. Um, when we start talking about um, moving from the deficit model, the field did a good job of saying, okay, we cannot blame people who are at different um, intersections of oppression or what's going on for uh, going on with them. I don't think that we have yet stepped into the space of how can we create a psychology that is uniquely positioned to give them an opportunity to be liberated from some of the oppression that has been experienced. Um, and I think that's vitally important, whether you're dealing with severe mental illness or you're just stressed. <laughs> you're just stressed and you need help getting over the current life stressors that are going on because you don't have the supports available to deal with it on your own at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely is a need for that in psychology. Yes, you know, you said so much there because I'm thinking about, you know, treating kind of the symptoms or some of the, you know, are, are good, right? But as you mentioned, we are in this, you know, racialized social structure. There are systems of oppression, right? And that is something that individually we might not be able to change, right? On our yeah. own, but through creating communities of care um, and using our agency, we are able to start to dismantle them. Um, and I think that the thinking about therapy or some of these therapeutic interventions are necessary to that process because we have to be in our right minds as much as we can be um, as we're thinking about um, some of the kind of broad scale changes that we want to enact as well. Absolutely. I often tell um, people all the time, complex problems require complex solutions. And so uh, when we start thinking about the experiences, and I'm speaking specifically about the experiences of people of color, um, because that's the community, those are the communities I was thinking of when I was designing this space, open to all though. Um, when we think about people of color, we have had to um, navigate so many different systems of um, just marginalization, um, so many roadblocks. And the research shows that that has had an impact on our physical health on our mental health and on our relationships, like mm -hmm. our ways in, of connecting and building community with each other. All of that, um, all of those three things are vital to us being healthy overall, they're connected. And that was happening before we had a pandemic. That was happening before we had political tensions happening in the world. That was before we had increases of um, increase uh, race-related stressors on a national level for these communities. So it, these spaces are well overdue. Um, we need to start thinking about multi-pronged solutions. And I loved how you said that uh, communities of care um, that can come together and serve the community while building the community. Yes, yes. And I am so excited that you have created the Mending Place. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the Mending Place is and kind of what um, what you seek to do with it? Yes. So the Mending Place, I, I like to start with the values because I think it's really important for people to understand the spirit in which this space was designed. Um, uh, we believe in mind, body, and spirit connectivity. So that's kind of what I was just talking about earlier, that our health is not, um, it's not in just one aspect. Uh, we believe in strength-based strength um, and culturally affirming services. So that means looking at what matters most to the individual um, and meeting them where their cultural priorities are. Um, interpersonal neurobiology. So we believe that our brain tells us a lot 
and it impacts not only our relationships with ourselves, but our relationships with other and can be a source of healing. Um, and we also believe that understanding some of the ways that historical trauma has impacted our communities, as well as our individual traumas, that can give us good information on how we can heal and come to terms with connecting some of those things and finding some of those protective factors that were there and maximizing on some of those strengths that we've developed um, to become resilient. So that's what we value, but above all, it was created with people of color in mind. Um, and so there are two sub parts of the Mending Place. Mm -hmm. um, people's entry point into the Mending Place often will start with a, a comprehensive interview where they come in and they are kind of getting a, given a roadmap um, where you are with a licensed psychologist. They will ask you a series of questions. What are your goals? What changes would you like to see in your life? And then you're given a very customized treatment plan. That treatment plan can include clinical services and some of our non-clinical services. Our clinical services include psychological assessment um, and psychological therapy. So you can have one-on-one -on -one therapy. But we also have some wellness programs that do not require any diagnosis. They are not considered psychological services at all, um, but they tap you into a community of people who are also working to mend different areas of their life, whether that's professionally, interpersonally, or individually. So mm. that's the mending place. <laughs> I love that. I already feel better just learning about <laughs> learning about the space. And you know. Even as I was saying, it's kind of funny because sometimes just knowing that there is a space and place where you could kind of really um, exhale and yes. kind of put down all the armor that you wear throughout the day because of the different interactions um, mm -hmm. that you may have or that you anticipate having. I think knowing that there is a, you know, quote unquote, safe place yep. is also kind of exciting and, and it gives you hope. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's good to hear um, from my perspective. So thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, I'm thinking about oftentimes how we may know we're going through something, even if we don't know what it is exactly, but we know we don't feel good or, you know, something is off, right? These are words we might use to describe how we're feeling. And when you don't think that anyone understands you or that there's not a place where you can, you know, get help, that is an added stressor. Yeah. Um, so I think just knowing that there are places and people who are thinking about culturally affirming services, who are thinking about ways to help you um, and not, you know, make you feel worse, like it's your fault, yeah. <laughs> um, that is hopeful. Yes, and that that's one of the purposes or one of the goals that I had with the Mending Place um, came from an awareness that sometimes you don't know what you need. You just, you just know that you need something, but you need somebody to help you figure out what it is that you need. And unfortunately, therapeutic services is a highly unregulated business, mm -hmm. um, and it's filled with a lot of jargon on our websites, a lot of different credentials, and oftentimes People aren't, if we already have a lack of mental health knowledge in community of colors, and if there's this stigma, once it's finally time for people to seek out services, who's there to tell them where to go, right? And so um, the mending place, that treatment planning, that first entry point is really important because maybe you receive your therapeutic services from the mending place. Maybe you do not. We absolutely hope you do. But you will get education on what specific services we believe would help you meet your goals um, and how you can vet the providers of those services if it's not going to happen at the mending place. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted you to be able to talk with my listeners because that is such a big barrier. Like you mentioned, the jargon, um, all these different, you know, letters behind people's names and, you know, <laughs> not just the average person doesn't necessarily know what that means or why it would might be important, but even for me, you know, I'm Googling, okay, I know this you know, is some yep. sort of licensure and, and indicating some sort of, you know, specialized knowledge, but I don't know what it means either. And so that can seem scary. And then already, as you mentioned, importantly, the stigma as well. Yeah. And 
four kids because I'm specialized in working with children and working in the schools. So that's always where uh, my heart goes to. But in the schools, we find that children of color, so Black, Asian, and Latinx children, tend to receive more of their, um, most of their mental health services from non-specialty providers. Wow. And that's concerning. That's, that's not a problem until the need is above the specialty of the person who you're going to see. Um, so I, it, I really want us to really be more thoughtful in increasing the access to this information to communities who need it the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it can be a lot to try to navigate on your own. Um, yes. and, and I think that stigma piece comes in because it's already a big hurdle to say, okay, I'm going to find help, right? Mm-hmm. And then if that kind of first contact isn't so good, um, yeah. it can put people off. Um, and I think what people don't understand is that a therapeutic relationship is like any other relationship where you got to find a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> but that can be scary because you're already like, I'm putting myself out here. I'm kind of telling somebody my business and now it's not a good fit. Like it just feels. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, definitely no relationship expert and would not want to be one, but <laughs> just like, when you're dating, the better that you know yourself, the better you're aware of exactly what you want and what's not going to work for you, the better you are to go ahead and kiss those couple of frogs you have to get through until you find the prince, right? So same thing for finding a therapist. I, I tell some of my clients, I might not be your flavor. And that is okay. Tell me that so that you can go and find your flavor. Um, but it's hard to get to that place when it's already an intimidating process because it's uncharted territory. I have privilege of being able to be exposed to this area, but where I'm from, how I grew up, I didn't, I wouldn't even, therapists, what? We didn't even talk about that. So it's just, um, and I, I don't want children coming behind me or generations coming behind me to be able to say that. Um, So I wanna make it more accessible in those areas where right now it's maybe not as accessible. Yes, absolutely. And I think conversations like this are helpful too because you know, again, just kind of destigmatizing what that process looks like as you make first contact with a therapist or with some sort of mental health professional, um, knowing that it doesn't have to be, you know, you can shop around, so to speak. You can, you know, meet multiple therapists until you find that good fit. I mm-hmm. think it's something that people may not realize, right? Because even in other types of, you know, medicine, thinking about other doctors, people kind of stick with the same one. Um, and mm-hmm. it seems a little scary to advocate for yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's when when people are at, um, I tell my students oftentimes people come to us at a point of crisis Um, a lot of people are coming because they've already tried to solve this problem on their own they've already tried to carry the load on their own Um, and so your job is to help make that transition to them receiving the services as seamless as possible Um, but it's if you're already overcoming that if you come from or were socialized in communities where there's a stigma associated to it, or there's just a knowledge gap where you don't have access to that information, then you're you're overcoming that much more stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that also means that the quality of the relationship is that much more important. So although it is a difficult thing to do, you know, that's where the fruit is. You got to push through and find that good therapist. Um, and I hear of friends of mine and even some family members who will say, you know, I had this, I went to this therapist and I don't know, I tried it. It wasn't for me. And I'm always like, okay, why didn't you tell me? Or what did you tell them? Did you go find someone else? Right. But I had to come to terms with there. There's still some shame there because we're all kind of fighting the socialization that we've had from a long time. So um, they probably didn't want to share that. Then I'm glad that they share it now because I've now become aware of how much of a gap there is in information on how to receive those services, but I've also learned how to help people um, navigate that process too. 
So Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Dr. Leanne Smith, the founder of The Mending Place. And we've been talking about mental wellness. And right before the break, you mentioned something um, I think is really important to talk about the shame aspect of seeking out mental health services and how that can really be a barrier to receiving services and to continuing services. So could you talk a little bit more about how shame is coming um, into play in this process and what listeners might be able to do to kind of, you know, um, deal with that shame and get them in the door, right, to getting the services they need? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of different layers of shame. that we've all been socialized into when it comes to help-seeking behaviors in general, um, and then help-seeking behaviors in the form of mental health, uh, that much more, right? And then if you come from a family or a culture that values um, other forms of support or other forms of care, such as religion or spirituality or, you know, maybe some avoidant behaviors or some maladaptive ways of coping, then there's even more um, potential fear of being an outcast, Mm -hmm. um, internalizing some of the stigma or the stereotypes that you feel are out there about people who need services. Um, I think most people would be very surprised if they realize how much of that socialization that we have in all of those areas were based on a lack of information, right? So when we talk about the stigma that exists in the church, some of that, I'm not gonna say it's bad doctrine, but not all of it is consistent with what I've come to know through my relationship with my religion, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, definitely in the black community as a black person who was born around other black people and raised in that community, um, we used a lot of phrases to minimize some stuff that we saw going on in our communities. Um, And I get why we did it. I I get why that was how it was done. It's because we saw mama and them do it. Like that's just how things were. But now that some of us have been exposed to a different way of um, a different way of functioning where we no longer have to just survive, right? Now some of us can thrive a little bit and that's great. So let's now make our survive a new baseline. Let's raise that up a bit, right? And so instead of calling, um, instead of saying that the the baby got a problem or you just can't get right or whatever it is, okay, let's really try to figure out what's going on here because maybe there is something neurologically going on. Maybe he learns a different way. Maybe there is the hyperactivity, right, that's happening. Maybe it's not anything that's biological. And maybe there's something environmental that can just be shifted and changed to better accommodate him. Mm-hmm. Hello, we have a solution, right? <laughs> and so that we get to solving a problem. Um, but I think for a very long time, we've just kind of been doing things, doing business as usual within a lot of communities of colors because of the stressors and the things that we have to navigate. Um, But I think now is a good time for us to do a little reset Mm -hmm. and think about how we can have more information about that stuff. Um, And hopefully that will reduce a lot of the shame that we see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, as you're talking about all of our socialization, right? What's normal? What's normal? What do people like us do? What do people Mm -hmm. like us not do, right? And so seeking out help in a lot of different forms um, is something that people like us, you know, may not do, right? That we've been taught we should be able to handle this on our own, that we're strong or that we don't go outside of our immediate family or immediate community for help. Um, But all of that can be to our detriment when, like you said, sometimes there might be um, something neurological that's happening that could easily be attended to with Mm -hmm. the proper type of care and proper diagnosis. Um, So I think, you know, we have to, as you said, get to a a different baseline of survival, right? Um, So that we can, so that we can thrive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm still struck by how many students and even myself 
those of us who come from communities and we even say that our entry point into the field is, you know, I'm from a community that did not believe in mental health services, but I saw the impacts it had. Like, I feel like I'm reading off a personal statement right now. Um, so I want to give back to the community. Um, but then as we go through the process of learning how to provide care, um, we have to really come to terms with how deeply ingrained a lot of that um, mistrust of mm -hmm. certain aspects of the field, how much um, how much we aren't represented in many of the interventions, how much um, we've been pathologized, some of our normal uh, adaptation has just been pathologized. And so you have to come to terms with all of that. And I'm like, if it's difficult for me, and if it's difficult for my students, and if it's difficult for my colleagues, Imagine how much more difficult it is for people who are not positioned at the level of privilege that we are um, to be confronting it in this capacity rather than out of a need for services, right? So, um, so yeah, it's just, there's a lot happening to us. <laughs> yes, yes, so much. I mean, I'm so thankful that one, that you created the Mending Place, but also that you are in a teaching role as well. So that folks who are, you know, starting their journey in becoming a licensed psychologist or a licensed, you know, social worker or the other types of mental health and, and wellness services that people provide, that they have someone like you who can also teach, you know, from a culturally affirming standpoint, which is mm -hmm. not necessarily the norm in programs across the country. Yeah, yeah. I, I my best training, um, came when I was in, I received great training all the way along, they say that, but my most, um, I guess my most pivotal um, training happened when I was at my internship placement, because for the first time I had multiple supervisors of color. Mm. Um, and it was a place where they talked about how much culture is important um, in assessment, in intervention, right? And I was able to then have people who come from communities who are similar to mine, who had to also navigate some of those, um, some of those times where you're explaining what you do to a family member and you see them roll their eyes because they don't even believe in all that stuff you're talking about. Um, it just, it was good to receive training from someone who gets it, right? Mm -hmm. And, but I am also someone who really believes in representation. Uh, I believe in mentorship and I believe in sharing some of the wisdom we've gone, uh, things that we've gone through and giving it to, you know, people coming behind us to help make the way a little easier. And so that was a very affirming space for me as I was training. Um, and so I want to give similarly affirming spaces. But, you know, I think that's so important as you were mentioning, you know, having this very impactful internship experience where you saw kind of hands on the process of how you can deliver services that are culturally affirming and then being able to also replicate that with the students you work with now, because I can only imagine for folks who don't have that experience, it's also a hurdle for them in trying to create those spaces um, when they go into practice as well. Yes, I've had students um, from multiple different cultural backgrounds who we've had very intimate moments about just some of the things that they had to push through, particularly during the past two years, right? Because um, our all of us, like our stressors have just gone through the roof. Um, and those of us who are in communities that were differentially impacted or um, impacted, I, I will say even just compounded <laughs> by some of the other tensions and things and some of the rhetoric that was going on around um, what was happening in our nation and globally with the pandemic, it has just, it, we're all at a max, everyone was stressed. And so I had students who really, we're fighting the urge to receive services and feel okay receiving services. Mm -hmm. um, and also having to navigate, pushing through some of their own stuff while they're learning how to provide services, right? Like it was a moment for me as a instructor where I had to question, how are we making sure that the next wave 
of um, aspiring psychologists who are students of color don't have to do all of this, right? They don't have to carry all of it, this to get to the place of clinical practice that maybe some people who don't have some of those other things that they have to work through um, have to get. So yeah, that, yeah. It's been an interesting time to be a professor of clinicians. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, and, and that brings up a good point because, you know, still now we're under way more stress. We're dealing with so many more stressors um, and, and compounding stress. And I'm wondering if there are any, um, I guess, maybe tips or even just of affirmations, right, that you can provide to listeners, because I feel like we are, um, the continued amount of high levels of stress cannot be maintained, right, but yet here we are still expected to show up as the employee and show up as, you know, the wife or the sister or the mom or, you know, whomever, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you can offer our listeners as we're still kind of, <laughs> like, we're still doing this, we're still trying to, like, <laughs> do all the things in a, in a space where it's like, we should be doing none of the things, Yes, none of the things. We need just a collective pause. Um, you know, I think often what is the thing that I would want to hear because I am a part of that. I am a part of the collective we mm -hmm. that is at her max. I have lost people during this time, very, very dear people in my life. I have had to work nonstop. Um, because the workload did not decline, actually, in, in our line of work, I feel like it increased substantially. Oh, yeah. um, and then as a provider, um, helping people through that, and then just, hello, I'm still living life, and so there's all of my own stuff, right? Um, I don't know if there's anything that I can say other than find your sources of support and lean all the way in. Mm -hmm. um, so I think resiliency is something that I research is something that I live my life by. And I think just knowing what resiliency is may help some people. Mm -hmm. So we all are um, constantly doing this little dance or this little balance. Um, some may call it a tug of war at times, <laughs> but it is our balancing out our proximity to a number of different risk factors that may or may not going on in our life, a number of stressors that we could be dealing with, right? Um, some examples could be that you have financial insecurity, right? Like you stress about where the money's going to come from all the time. Proximity to poverty is a risk factor. Let's say that you have lost someone very dearly. You're going through grieving. If you've lost a spouse or a child, that's actually an off the charts amount of stress on our little rating system of how much stress a person can experience. That's considered a risk factor. Resiliency is having some protective factors. It's having some supports that you build in that helps you manage and navigate whatever level of risk factors or stressors you have going on in your life at the moment. So sometimes we can't minimize those stressors, right? I can't say, you know what, I'm not going to work because I got bills. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do it, but I can't do that. But what I can do is say, I'm going to make sure that when I spend time with my loved ones, I'm doing it uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. I can make sure that I am pouring myself fully. I am over committing myself to enjoying life, to relaxing when it's time to relax to socializing when it's time to socialize, right? Because I started to do a really bad job of saying no um, mm -hmm. and not prioritizing me and my family and my fun and my beingness, right? Because yes. we are human beings. We're not human doings. We don't, we're, our value isn't just in what we produce and what we do. So um, even though the world is not taking a collective pause, I encourage people to find their pause where they can. Tap into your supports. And if, your supports do not measure up. They can't help balance off those risk factors that you feel. It's starting to feel wobbly. The mm -hmm. tug of war is getting a little too tight. There are licensed professionals that have been trained to help you balance it out a little bit. And a good provider is not helping you to rely on them to where you have to continuously go to therapy because I hear that sometimes. It's mm -hmm. not that, that's not a good provider. 
So put that on your dating checklist when you're trying to find your therapist. If you feel like they talking about clients that they've had for forever and they're not, they're not meeting with you and talking about a goal. They're not asking you what will it look like for you to not need to come talk to me about this issue again. Mm. Then go on and try to find you a new therapist to date because that, oh, that could come off really wrong. I mean, go find another therapist. <laughs> Ethics. Um, and so, um, yeah, so go go do that because you are supposed to be um, working yourself out of a therapeutic relationship. I want to tell people that, but um, find a therapist and vet them well. And if the first one doesn't fit, try to find another one, um, but help build up your supports to manage whatever is going on for you right now. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of understanding this balance or tug of war at times between Mm -hmm. the the sources of support and then the stressors, because of course, we're always going to have some stressors in our life. Um, Of course, now, again, some (laughs) unprecedented stressors, um, but we also hopefully have some sources of support in our life that we can, you know, lean on and be leaned on for from other people as well. But as you mentioned, you know, those are only some tools. We have a lot of other tools, hopefully at our disposal um, and, and entering into a therapeutic relationship will provide us with more tools in our toolkit to be able to manage the stressors as they arise. Yes, absolutely. I love that you use the toolkit analogy because I use it all the time um, when trying to explain um, just the added benefit of having a therapist, right? Because some people will say, I got friends who I can talk to. I don't need to go to a therapist or I got something else. Like, I'm not saying substitute your therapist for your friends or your friends for your therapist. Just add on, it's additive. Give it yourself a little something extra in the toolkit. Yes, yes, additive. And also, you know, our friends and our family are great. And they, sh- they should be so- sources of support, and hopefully they are, um, but they're not licensed professionals. They no. don't have specialized training. They don't know the full range of tools, no. right? So they can offer some, and sometimes that might just be listening, but they might not be able to offer solutions. Um, yeah. And they also, because they are our loved ones, they may not be willing to tell us when it's us, right? <laughs> and yes, and that objectivity. So I talk to students about this because my form of, um, I have a lot of different theoretical frameworks I work from, but very relational, um, very postmodern and person-centered. So relationship and having good rapport is very important to me, right? So I think that, that's not what I'm saying when I'm about to say this next part, but objectivity or that emotional distance sometimes that we as therapists have to maintain to make sure that we are providing you with the best solutions or best perspectives that is yours, right? I have to make sure that as a therapist, my biases are not clouding my care. And so I have to stay a little bit removed from it, right? My mama can't stay removed from anything that I talk to her about. <laughs> She's rooting for me. There's no way that she can also tell me when she does. But, you know, it's just, it's different when someone doesn't necessarily have an invested um, attachment to the outcome of what they're helping you with. Mm-hmm. And you want that. You want to be able to say the things and not worry about, how that's going to impact your relationship with somebody in a couple of years. Because again, it's a therapeutic relationship. It's going to come to an end. So, you know, say all this stuff, get it all out and get the care you need. (laughs) Yes, yes. Because let me tell you, um, I'm extremely biased when it comes to my loved ones. So I'm not going to be able to give you (laughs) objective advice. I am on your side. You are right. You know, (laughs) I'm supportive. Now I'm a great encourager for that reason. But Mm -hmm. as far as giving you that objective, it's not me. Okay. So um, some of my friends joke about that with me they're like you're too biased you just hold on to too much yes because I'm on your side and you told me we don't like so-and-so from first grade and and we don't (laughs) you know like that's me so all that to say use the use the support that you have but also understand that you can have additional support 
via a therapeutic relationship and get some of that needed objectivity. (laughs) Yes. And imagine how much you would free some of the other stuff within your relationships with people when, I mean, I know I was very surprised by it when I started receiving services myself, right? I went through a rough patch and I was like, look at me, see what's in you will always come out. I called it a rough patch, Uh, but it was a rough patch. I was in Pittsburgh. I was uh, going through, I'm pretty sure it was seasonal effective something, but I, I, vitamin D levels were low, was really, really sad. So I went and I had a therapist and it enhanced my relationships with everyone else in my life at that time, because I was relying on them for a lot of support through a really rough season of my life. And I appreciated them for being there, but I was so happy when I was able to get my relationships back without it being focused on whatever I was dealing with and wasn't processing with someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also as the friend who's the therapist that people come to, your therapist friends will appreciate it if you go receive services. <laughs> yes, yes. Because <laughs> we want to be your friends. We want to <laughs> be your friends. <laughs> yes, free your therapist friends from the burden of having to, you know, kind of be the therapist and the friend at the same time. Yeah. Um, but something else you said, two things I just want to emphasize was, you know, having entering into a therapeutic relationship also improves your all of your other relationships as well. And I think that's so key. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, relationships are vital to our well being to our mental wellness. Um, So having that therapeutic relationship and getting that professional help will then increase, you know, our relationships the quality and the enjoyability of our, our relationships. But the other piece that you mentioned was saying that, you know, maybe you were having some seasonal affective disorder and like low vitamin D levels, right? And so these are things that it's not that something was wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like there are other environmental factors. And so I think that's just such a great example. Again, as we talked earlier about bring ourselves from shame, right? There is nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You are, you know, you are still you, vibrant, wonderful you, but there was something else happening that was impacting you. Yeah, I think right now, um, I love that mental health is much more approachable and attainable to people, um, but I'm not sure if in our pursuit of destigmatizing it, if we've also increased the amount of misinformation mm-hmm. that is out there or restricted um, the information that is available, right? So focus too much on one aspect, right? So uh, I talk about it often, but there's mental health, mental distress, and then there's mental illness. And so you can be experiencing mental distress and never even qualify for a diagnosis that's listed in the DSM, right? That doesn't mean that you are not at a point of needing support or benefiting from support, right? Even if it's not a need that you wouldn't benefit from support. So why not do it? Um, And I think we don't do it because we see the extremes of mental illness, right? We think about, um, we think about Uh, Rain Man, or we think of all of these uh, movies that show different aspects of it. And we think of psychiatric hospitals. And I'm not saying that those things don't have a place and that those things aren't realities also, but they are a very much smaller percentage of what most of us are going to be experiencing. Um, But it cuts us off from the good part of the, the spectrum of mental health, right? From thinking about our daily practices that promote mental well-being and thinking about what we do when we do need a touch-up or, you know, a tune-up. You don't just go to the doctor when you break your leg or when you have a chronic condition. You go to the doctor to help you figure out when you need to get that larger scale intervention or go to a specialist, right? Mm -hmm. So mental health is kind of the same way. Yes, I love that analogy. Well, let's take another quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. 
We're here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Dr. Leanne Smith, a licensed psychologist and the founder of The Mending Place. And of course, we are talking about mental wellness. And before the break, you mentioned something that I thought was really key. Um, you know, oftentimes we think about mental health in terms of when we're in a crisis, um, but mental health encompasses, you know, much more than just those moments of crisis. And you briefly mentioned, you know, thinking about uh, both kind of mental wellness or mental health as kind of checkups, right? Kind of routine checkups as we do with other types forms of healthcare, Mm -hmm. um, but also thinking about the daily practices that help contribute to our mental wellness. And as you're talking, it made me think about, you know, like your dental health, you know, you go in or you should go in for your, your checkups and cleanings a couple times a year, but in between that, you have to brush your teeth every day and floss. I I can break that analogy down for you even more because that was great. So mental health would be the toothbrushing. That's what you're doing. Those are those daily practices you do, right? But even if you brush your teeth every day, you're going to want your teeth to get whitened sometimes, right? Because you want them to glean a little bit more and you're going to need to do a full mouth checkup to make sure everything is good. That's if you maybe are at a point uh, that's part of your daily mental health, I mean, uh, dental health routine. So that could be part of your mental health routine to check in with your licensed professional just to do a touch up, right? But then you might have an issue where you bite down on something and now you have a cracked tooth. You weren't planning for that cracked tooth. You really couldn't have prevented it because you've been going to all your appointments. Life just happens. Things happen, right? Same thing happens mentally. So you are now at a point of mental distress. Something has gone on. Your stressors have increased. And so now you can go to a licensed professional and they can help you figure out how to navigate this space, right? So the dentist can figure out the treatment plan to get your tooth to not be chipped, right? Mm. But even with all of that stuff, you can still develop things like gingivitis, right? That you can have some type of a disease or disorder. Same Mm. thing in mental health. You could also not either develop a mental disorder or you could have had a mental disorder and the stressors in your environment caused them to come out or show. Um, And in that case, you are now at a point of needing services or requiring services from a different type of mental health provider Um, because there are so many different types of providers and therapists and counselors. um, But sometimes the level of the need requires who's the best interventionist at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, now when you brush your teeth, listeners, you're going to be thinking about your mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love so, this. Just, just say a some way. affirmations or something. <laughs> yes. You know, I love that. You know, say your affirmations while you're brushing your teeth. And now you've created a habit because hopefully, look, hopefully you are brushing your teeth multiple times a day. So then you have you know, little muscle, multiple times a day of, of mental health check-ins with yourself. Now, speaking of affirmations, can you give us some examples of affirmations? <laughs> You just want examples of affirmations yes, because for listeners, you know, if they're like, okay, I think I can get on board. Like maybe I don't want to reach out to a therapist because that seems mm-hmm. too scary, but maybe I could do, you know, some affirmations, but like, I don't know what that means. So I'm going to, uh, so a lot of the affirmations is a very broad term. I will start with that. Okay. Um, the, the, heart or the idea behind an affirmation is for it to improve your own sense of self, shift your focus, and they're usually supposed to be used to repeat to yourself over and over again to help shift or ground you, take you right back to a specific focal point. I find, I'm a Christian, sometimes it's a scripture for me. Mm -hmm. I will, there will be a specific scripture who tells me who I am or who God says that I am, and I will repeat that to me, you know, um, I am um, ahead and I'm not behind, right? I'm first, I'm not last. Um, I, those are things that I would say out loud. Um, last year or in COVID, when I was doing a lot of overworking, um, I was working with a faculty coach and 
um, she helped me identify that I was saying, um, I was putting all of my value on what I was doing and what I was producing. And she's actually the one who gave me the language that I am a human being, I'm not a human doing. And so that is the affirmation that I gave myself for a long time, day after day. I would wake up and I would just start telling myself, mm -mm, I'm a human being, I am not a human doing. And it was just my, re my reframe, right? It just brought me back to a place of remembering that I've already set out the intention of the day, which is to be at peace with just being and not putting all my worth in what I produce. So mm -hmm. affirmations to me are very individualized. It's whatever is going to help bring you back to whatever is your own personal baseline or your own personal center. Um, and so this is some of the stuff that is going to be covered in the mental wellness programming um, that we're doing through the Mending Place. Um, to help people develop their own affirmations, right? There are apps that I will use and they'll kind of give me affirmations or things to think about. Nothing hits the same than your own words. And that's why I love therapy because a good therapist helps bring life to the words that you use. And so you are saying, instead of posting, I'm okay with it, but instead of posting what your therapist says, right? You'll be posting what, your therapist says, and it's really your words, right? Mm -hmm. Or you'll be posting about how you changed your language or your self-talk because of what your therapist helped you identify in your own speaking. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I think that's, that's so not an affirmation though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's so important because First, we're always talking to ourselves or kind of thinking things to ourselves. And we might not think of all those kind of random thoughts um, as affirmations in the way that we kind of use that word right now in kind of, you know, popular culture, I guess. But all those thoughts or words that we're thinking are affirming or shaping how we think about ourselves, shaping our expectations, shaping how we show up in the world. And so as you mentioned in that same way we can redirect our focus to what it is that we would like to see or how it is we would like to feel or who it is we would like to be and maybe that's not how we see ourselves at this moment but just in the same way that negative self-talk kind of continues and and, yeah. and and leads to that outcome so can positive self-talk which is really what these affirmations are positive self-talk Absolutely. And this a great example of the mind, body and spirit connectivity that I talked about at the very beginning is when you are doing those affirmations, when you're saying it right, what you're actually participating in is number one, the positive self-talk, which helps interfere with our a lot of our propensity to engage in negative self-talk. But you're also doing guided focus. You are, you are basically meditating in a moment because you are giving yourself something repeatedly to focus on, right? Mm -hmm. And that has been proved to have really good psychological benefits. Um, and I think about the breathing that, because when I'm saying affirmations to myself, it's an all-in process. It's not me just walking around talking to myself. I am intentionally pausing. So I'm sitting, I'm saying it, or I'm standing and I'm saying it, and I am slowing my breath. I'm letting my breath come to the rhythm that it's supposed to be at, right? Because our breathing will either make us more anxious, mm -hmm. uh, it will take us into panic mode. Um, so we have to connect with that breath. And so now I'm talking to myself better, doing some positive self-talk. I've slowed down my heartbeat, which is going to be related to physiologically how I feel, whether I'm in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Mm -hmm. And then also... I am connecting if, you know, depending on what affirmations you're using, if you want to, you can connect to whatever your source, your whatever is your spiritual place that you land, you connect with that when you slow down. Um, so yeah, I, one of the first things that I do with my clients to build up their toolkit before we do some of the deeper work of therapy is to help them identify what are those daily practices they can do to improve their baseline, right? Because it would be just like going to the dentist and they never tell you, hey, you got to start brushing your teeth again daily, right? <laughs> I, I'm not going to, uh, we're not going to get into the deep work and your daily practices haven't caught up and can't maintain the progress that you make, right? So um, those are important things for people to consider how they can build those up. 
Uh, I love that. I love that. Now, I know we're unfortunately nearing the end of our time together this morning, but I wanted to end with how we started or something you mentioned at the beginning, which was how you feel that you're really purposed for Mm. creating the mending place. And I think that's so powerful. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about how you, um, we're able to stay aligned with that purpose and see this to fruition. Uh, was not an easy path. Uh, and I'm a very linear person. So it was very destabilizing for me. Um, but I didn't, I should start by saying, I didn't know that this was purpose until I just kept doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because sometimes our purpose is somewhere in between the work. (laughs) You got to get in the work before purpose becomes even clearer. But um, I almost lost the path or I almost got off track with the busyness of life. Um, Life keeps us very busy. It keeps us tapped out of creativity. It keeps us from slowing down and catching up with ourselves sometimes. Um, And I intentionally shifted to catch back up with myself And that's when I got tapped back into purpose. I um, remember going into or um, coming out of undergraduate and I didn't even know about psychology in terms of going into it as a discipline. I was a biomedical engineering major until I was, I shifted to math. So this was not an intentional path at first, but I remember saying that I just want to give, um, that point, I probably said minorities because that was the term we were using then. Uh, but spaces to heal. I used to say that. And um, then I was thinking about it in terms of medicine because I was thinking about being a pediatrician and didn't want to do that anymore. But I've always known, I've always been aware of just how much pain collectively and historically um, people of color have gone through. Um, Because I've seen it in my community. I grew up in Galveston, Texas. I was raised by a single mother. We did not have a whole lot. Um, But our community, my supports, my mentors, uh, my exposure to experiences, the programs I was privileged to be able to get to because I was educated, that made the world bigger for me. And the supports allowed me to experience it, right? And to fulfill my dreams. And I just felt like more people should get that. (laughs) And so I knew I wanted to create that. It wasn't until um, COVID happened and I started to feel like my research was just talking about the problems Mm -hmm. and I wasn't doing anything um, to help come with some solutions. I was in pain. I was seeing my community in pain. Um, actually, when COVID first started, the first the, the thing that was on my mind the most is what is this going to have for educational inequity? Um, because I already knew what that was looking like. And so and I was talking to people it's like no one wanted to no one was thinking about that. Everyone was thinking about the crisis at the moment. But when you're someone who's been looking at the suffering of populations or the, the challenges and the barriers and all of that for so long, every new thing is just another thing. And it's like, it feels like the final straw. Um, And so it was an emergency to me and it didn't feel like an emergency to everyone else. And so I said, okay, we need to think about some solutions. And so um, I saw mental health in providing increased access, wellness that isn't necessarily pathologized. All of that was sorely needed. And unfortunately, the numbers fell where I thought they would fail. We are seeing increases in mental distress across all populations. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were already up against a Black youth suicide crisis. Um, We were already up against Asian youth being the least likely to receive services. We were already up against Latinx families being disconnected, right? And so it was just, um, it was needed already. And then it became even more important and the spaces where people received those supports were inaccessible. Churches had to go offline. Community centers were shut down. Um, People weren't able to collect with families and we were losing people, right? And so to take it back to resiliency, our stressors, our risk factors, they increase monumentally and our supports 
started to decrease. So it felt like the perfect time to create a space where we can build up our supports by using community, um, which is one of the key protective factors for a lot of people of color. So, Well, we are so happy that you created The Mending Place. Um, Tell listeners how they can find out more. Where can they find more information? Yes. So please go find us on letsmend.org. That's the website. We're also on Instagram um, at Let's Mend Therapy. And you can also follow me at Dr. Leanne V. Smith, um, both on Instagram. Awesome. Well, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. It is always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to Dr. Leanne Smith, licensed psychologist and the founder of The Mending Place. Always such a great conversation with Dr. Smith uh, for today's positive note. I actually just want to repeat something um, that Leanne said while she was telling us how she created The Mending Place. And that was our purpose is somewhere in the work. And I think someone probably needs to hear that because you're wondering, you know, what am I meant to do? What is my purpose? And you actually have to do the work, start doing the work and your purpose will become clearer. Well, this has been Let's Grab Coffee. I'm so glad that you spent some of your Monday with me. And of course, I will be back next Monday morning as well. If you missed any part of this episode, don't worry. You can catch the replay on wyxr.org or you can subscribe to Let's Grab Coffee in the podcast format wherever you stream podcasts.